You're listening to the Gluten-Free Guide Podcast with your hosts, Vanessa Weisbrod and Emily Friedner. Welcome to the Gluten-Free Guide Podcast. I'm Vanessa Weisbrod, and I'm here with my co-host, Emily Friedner. And tonight we're talking about a very important topic, gluten-free flours and grains. This is something that affects people who are on a gluten-free diet every single day. It's what we see in all of the gluten-free baked goods. I'm talking about cakes, cupcakes, brownies, bagels, breads, you name it. There's some gluten-free grain in all of them. So, Emily, what is your favorite gluten-free grain? So, I think mine is actually almond flour just because it's so versatile. And I use it in all kinds. I mean, you can use it as breadcrumbs. You can use it in pancakes and cupcakes and muffins so I think that's my probably my number one go-to and it's really easy to find um so it's just a good good thing to get used to using now do you use almond flour as a one-to-one substitute when you use it in baked goods it depends sometimes when I'm using when I'm doing a pancake I have this recipe that's really simple it's basically just like eggs and almond flour and a little bit of vanilla um, so sometimes if I'm using it in something that simple, I will, but usually I'll mix it with another, like a buckwheat or a coconut flour. And is there anything that you have to do differently when you use almond flour? Like, do you have to add more liquid, more eggs, more baking powder? Is it heavier? What kind of reactions does it have when you use it in a recipe? Well, I know you're going to be modest, but you are the baker. <laughs> you are the you are such a good baker, so I'm going to flip that question right back to you because I think you're going to have a better answer than I will. I'm still kind of experimenting, so I think yours probably turned out better than mine most of the time. So I think the interesting thing about almond flour, it's also one of my favorites, is that it's a little bit heavier. So mm-hmm. when you bake with it, things tend to be a little bit more dense instead of like light and fluffy. But Mm -hmm. that being said, you can use, I do use it one-to-one in baking, especially with things like pancakes. I've made scones and um, waffles with it. Um, So you can use it one-to-one, but I totally agree that it's much, much better as a, as a blend. Mm -hmm. Um, I I like to blend it with coconut flour. That's definitely my favorite um, combination of them. Mm -hmm. And so when I'm teaching our classes at the hospital, we often use the almond flour, coconut flour combination for kids who have both celiac disease and type 1 diabetes. Mm, because it's low glycemic? Low glycemic, reduces the carbs, high fiber mm-hmm. content. But I think yep. my favorite thing about almond flour is that it really keeps you full much longer. For sure. There's lots of protein and good fiber. You know, I used to always think about eating like refined flours and, you know, you eat a muffin, for example, it's like full of sugar, tons of carbs, and you're hungry mm-hmm. like an hour and a half later um, mm-hmm. because there was really no protein and there anything good for you. Um, exactly. And I feel like when I eat products that are made with almond flour, I just feel much fuller afterwards and I'm not starving again nearly as quick. Mm-hmm. It's definitely, and it's kind of interesting because I don't know how many listeners are familiar with paleo diets, but that's a really popular diet that's showing up now. There's lots of products in the grocery store that are paleo friendly, and I've noticed that they use a lot of almond and coconut flour just for that reason because they're low carb and they are really high in protein and um, really good for you. So it's kind of it's a bonus because you're eating gluten free, but you're also um, eating something that's going to keep you full longer and that's really nutrient dense and has really good fats in it. So um, these flowers are actually have that little extra, extra bonus. Yep. 
I actually remember being at a food show a few years back and the almond board was there. Now, don't mm-hmm. quote me on this because I can't remember the exact specifics of it, but I do remember there being some sort of a poster that said that eating eight almonds will keep you full for like so many hours afterwards. And I didn't oh, really believe but I really do think that it's true. It's totally true. That's my like go-to snack at work, a handful of almonds or something. So, um, yeah, so it's a good thing to keep on hand. And actually this is a little bit advanced, but I've been making my own nut milks at home because I just realized that, yeah, I was, um, spending, you know, so much at the store because I don't drink, um, cow's milk. So I was spending a lot on these dairy milks and there's, or non-dairy milks. And there's a lot of, um, talk about carrageenan and how that's not so good for you, which is in a lot of almond milks and they're expensive too. So I was like, I'm just going to learn how to do this myself. And it's actually super easy. You basically just soak almonds overnight in water and then you blend them up with water and a little bit of um, like a little sweetener and salt. And then you have, and you strain them through a nut bag and then you have homemade fresh almond milk. But what I learned was that um, if you want to go the extra mile and get fancy and you have a food dehydrator, you just spread the pulp out on the food dehydrator and dehydrate it for 24 hours. And then you have homemade almond flour and you can basically store it like for months. So it's kind of cool (laughs) to be able to make that at home as well. If you felt like getting into that whole thing, but it's just, it's, it's this really simple ingredient that is just so versatile. I just love it. That's, so true. I, I'm so impressed with you making nut adventure, <laughs> but now I feel like I might have to. You might have to share that recipe with our listeners. Yeah, I will. It. It's surprisingly so, easy. <laughs> on the nutrition side, um, almonds mm-hmm. are also packed with vitamin E, which have been shown to help prevent heart and blood diseases, and may also help with um, preventing diabetes, diabetic-related complications. They're also packed with monosaturated fats, which can help reduce bad cholesterol levels and decrease the risk of heart disease. So Mm -hmm. lots of really good things for us in in almond flour. So definitely check that out. So we also, we already touched a little bit on coconut flour and I'm actually like really big on coconuts this week. Um, On Mm -hmm. Monday, we filmed um, an entire video about coconut and has the incorporated into the gluten-free diet. So we filmed four recipes using coconut in different fashions. And it was Mm. the first time I've ever made cookies using just coconut flour. Oh, really? What kind did you make? We just made, we made like, well, what I would call sugar cookies. Um, But they were um, just a very basic, like plain coconut cookie. And then we put uh, colored sprinkles in them to make them confetti cookies. Oh, fun. <laughs> they were, they were really great. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here's the thing. I've never cooked one-to-one with coconut flour before. I've always used them as part, as part of a blend. So I did all yeah, this reading here. how coconut flour absorbs liquid. And what I found as I was doing all this research is that coconut flour is basically like sponge. Mm. And it's... And, you know, all these books and recipes using coconut flour, they talk about how, you know, only use a small amount, like don't use it as more than um, 20% of a replacer, and, mm-hmm. and, like per cup of flour. And so I was really nervous about trying to do a recipe with it 100%. And mm-hmm. it was hysterical. I had this like small amount of coconut flour. It was like three quarters of a cup for this entire batch of cookies. <laughs> and... I had to put in like two cups of liquid. 
I mean, for just to absorb it. Wow. Eggs. And so I had this like gigantic bowl of liquid and this tiny little cup of flour. And I was like, there's no way this is going to work as a dough. But lo and behold, I mixed it all together. It was super wet. And within two minutes, it absorbed all of the liquid and was this perfectly like moldable dough. That's so awesome. That's like a science experiment. So neat. It was definitely a science experiment. And I had my three year old helping me with the recipe and he his little cute hands were in the videos, but <laughs> he couldn't believe it either. He thought it was the neatest thing. He's like, Mommy, that looks like mud. And then all of a sudden he's like, It looks like Play Doh. Wow. I'm gonna try that. That is so cool. I never because I've never used it one to one either. I have a banana bread recipe that it's cut it's like coconut and um buckwheat flour. So I've never mm-hmm. tried them that alone either. That's yeah, really cool. You, yeah, so it was it was a very cool experiment. Um, but I, I really like using coconut flour because it's a little bit sweet, and so I find that I use less sugar mm-hmm. than when I use other flours. Um, and it just it gives this very rich texture to baked goods. So, so how I, how did the cookies turn out? Were they like they really were, soft or were they crispy? Super soft. They were like soft. not cakey, but just like all the way through soft. They were, they were delicious. They were absolutely wonderful. I guess with all the moisture, it like retains all that moisture so well that, um, yeah. you know, when it comes out, it's really moist. Mm, that sounds delicious. We also made scones using a combination of coconut flour and sorghum flour, which I've actually... always been afraid of scones, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> I feel like I, I, I'm just like, they're such a interesting texture, you know, they're like kind of hard, but then they're supposed to be a little soft. So I've never, ventured into scone territory but maybe I'll have to give it a try like it are inherently dry and crumbly so that Mm -hmm. sort of fits in like most gluten-free baking anyway (laughs) that's true I guess you can't really mess them up too bad (laughs) but I have to say the combination of the sorghum flour with the coconut flour came out great and they were exactly like I envisioned them for like high tea Um, so Mm -hmm. I would definitely recommend that combination as well so sorghum is actually not something that I bake with often. So tell us a little bit about sorghum flour. You can definitely start using sorghum flour. Um, it's actually, so sorghum came from India and Africa, um, the, the whole grain of it. And what they do with it here is they grind it into a very fine flour. But I think that most people, and probably you're one of them, really mm-hmm. know about sorghum because it's used in gluten-free beer. From beer. I was going to say, that's the only place I really see it frequently. It's all, and it's sweet. Like uh, some gluten-free beers with sorghum are a little bit sweeter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's almost like molasses-y um, mm-hmm. when they use it in beer. But so they take the grain and they malt it. And that what, what that means is that they convert the starch into a sugar. So when I say mm-hmm. that it's malted, it's, it's a lot of people are confused because they think that means barley malt, but you can right. actually malt any grain. So mm-hmm. it's just a process, um, the process of converting starch into sugar. So mm-hmm. that's what they do when they make the beer. So it's completely safe, but it does make for a much sweeter beer. For the flour, mm-hmm. they just take the whole grain and instead of malting it, they just grind it into a flour. And what's really interesting about sorghum is that the starch and protein take longer to digest than your traditional wheat flours. So it actually is really great for people with type 1 diabetes as well because it's um, slower to absorb into the bloodstream. So it has a sweet taste, but it's not as 
um, high glycemic as some other flowers might be. Exactly. Wow. Um, But what I really think is great about sorghum flour is that it gives things this very, very smooth texture. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like you often think of like rice flowers as grainy, but sorghum is just so smooth and it's very, it's very soft when you just touch the raw flour. So Mm -hmm. it's really, really nice and baked goods. It's actually my, my go-to. What's your favorite thing to make with sorghum? My favorite thing to make with sorghum. I mean, I never, okay. I can't say that I I use it as a Mm one-to-one, but maybe that'll be my next experiment. I I typically blend it with, um, with coconut flour and tapioca flour because Mm -hmm. when I'm baking the tapioca gives things a very like a a nice, like thin crust. And so I Mm -hmm. tend to include that into my blend with it. Um, but I really use sorghum flour in almost anything that I make. I mean, it's, it's wonderful in any sort of like quick breads, uh, cakes. You'll never know the difference that it's, it's in a cake. Um, hmm. And again, it, it's a little sweet, so it, you can cut back on the sugar too. Well, I'll have to try that, actually. That sounds really good. Um, and speaking of tapioca, I notice when you say tapioca flour, I think sometimes when I used to think of tapioca, I just thought of tapioca starch. So mm-hmm. I think the two are um, – what, what's the difference between a tapioca starch and a tapioca flour? So it's in the processing. So the, the starch is everything else stripped except for the, the starchy part of it. Um, so mm-hmm. if you think about, like, like wheat starch, um, there's a lot of controversy over wheat starch because it, it is, there is a form of wheat starch that is actually gluten-free. And mm-hmm. what, it, what that means is that they've stripped – the protein and they've stripped all parts of the grain from it except for the starch. So mm-hmm. uh, tapioca starch is extremely starchy. Um, it's something that you would use in place of like cornstarch. Um, however, it's, it's it's more starchy, so you want to mm-hmm. use um, a little bit less because it's going to get very very thick very fast when you bake with it. So for gravies and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. The flour is also extraordinarily starchy, um, mm-hmm. but what's really amazing about it is that it has no taste or smell. So it's completely mm-hmm. void of any of those things that you that people say they don't like about gluten-free flours. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, a lot of people complain that things have a, like a beany taste or an earthy taste to them. Um, tapioca has none of those things. Um, interesting. Hmm. So, so would you use, like, how would you use tapioca flour? Do you have to use less of it because it's so starchy, or do you always have yeah, to mix it? So my my favorite example of tapioca flour is, um, like, Brazilian cheese bread. Like, that's the perfect oh, example. that's so good. <laughs> so that's made entirely from tapioca flour. It's a combination of tapioca flour, cheese, eggs, and water, and salt, probably. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And so if you think about that, that crust, like the, the crispy outer crust of Brazilian mm-hmm. cheese bread, and then the super spongy inside, mm-hmm. that's really like the quintessential outcome of using tapioca flour. Now, that's a little extreme because it does have the cheese in it, but for the most part, you want to use tapioca flour to give, uh, to give your loaf of bread a crust and to have like a super soft inside. So you would just add, it's sort of, is it sort of like an additive to a recipe where it just, like, if you're after that sort of texture, you would just use a little yeah. bit of it, but not necessarily something you would use, I see. No, I would definitely not use know. unless you're making cheese bread. 
<laughs> which sounds um, really good, by the way, because that is one of my favorite things, Brazilian cheese bread. <laughs> I was so excited when I realized I could actually eat that. <laughs> the other thing that I want to point out about tapioca, though, and now this this is one of my favorite um, experiments. So the first time that I really worked with tapioca flour, I was in culinary school, and mm-hmm. we were making roux. And I was testing out the comparison between like a traditional wheat flour that you would use to make a roux. And I had like all these different pots going, one with tapioca flour, one with potato starch, one with corn starch, one with arrowroot. And I was, oh, and then one with the gluten-free all-purpose flour. And I was trying to compare the difference in how long it took to thicken, the color of it. And you just, just to see the comparison to the, the traditional wheat flour. And mm-hmm. the funny thing about tapioca flour, no matter how long I let that thing cook, it did not change colors. It was just white. It was like, oh, white. really? And, you know, with a roux, you can get it to, to turn colors. You know, as it cooks, mm-hmm. it gets deeper and deeper and deeper brown. Right. And that's actually how people make different types of sauces. That if you're making, right. you know, a darker sauce, you, you like cook the flour and butter much longer to let it caramelize. But tapioca mm-hmm. flour will never do that. You could stand there for hours and hours and hours and it will stay that same shade of bright white. That's so interesting. Do you know why that is? Um, you know, I don't know why that is, but that would be a really interesting question for us to answer. Yeah. Huh. That's really interesting. Uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll have to find the answer. So how did you, what did you like about, or like or dislike about that when you were making a roux compared to those other types of flour so, and starches? I think that I prefer cornstarch for a gluten-free mm-hmm. roux. Um, mm-hmm. And the, the tapioca was fine. There was really, there was nothing wrong with it, but just when comparing it, like how it felt on your tongue, I think that mm-hmm. the cornstarch, there was less of an, a difference between the traditional. Mm. Although I have to say, I did not personally eat the regular one because I already knew I had celiac at the time. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm relying on, I felt it on my fingers. Mm-hmm. And then others in the class who could eat both tasted both. And they so, kind of agreed. I, yeah. Hmm. Interesting. It's, um, slimy is the wrong word, but that's sort of the direction that I'm going. Yeah. Is it, is kind it of like bit slimier? Yeah. Well, maybe we'll stick with cornstarch for that then. But I do like the I do like the idea that you can get like breads and things like that really crispy on the outside with just a little bit. It's like a secret secret weapon for a good yeah, texture definitely. to your baked goods. Yeah. Cool. So how about we switch over to kind of the more like the really common flowers, the brown flower, brown rice flour and white rice flour, because obviously those are just in pretty much everything that we see at the store that's gluten free. Yeah, so they're the most commonly used. If you buy a gluten-free product, it's pro- most likely they're going to have one in it. Um, mm-hmm. It's Well, first of all, it's the cheapest um, flour that you can buy of all these that we were talking about. Um, the almond flours, the coconut flours, the sorghums, they're all definitely much, much more expensive than the brown and white mm-hmm. rice flours. Right. Um, the nice thing about the rice flours is that they're easy to get they're not expensive. Um, and at least with brown rice flour, you can get a whole grain um, flour. Mm-hmm. But I would say that they're probably the least nutrient rich for you. Um, right. So especially you, the white rice flour that pretty much has yeah. no nutritional value. Right. 
So if you think, okay, so I'm going to tell you for, if we're comparing it to a quarter cup. So if we had a quarter cup of um, coconut flour, we would have 11 grams of fiber. A quarter cup of almond flour would have three grams of fiber, but a quarter mm -hmm. cup of rice flour would only have one gram of fiber. So it's just basically turning into sugar when you eat it. There's really not, yeah. not a lot of redeeming qualities about that. <laughs> exactly. So there's nothing wrong with it. Um, the biggest mm -hmm. complaint with white rice flour is that it just tends to be very gritty. So mm -hmm. I wouldn't necessarily recommend using it as um, a one-to-one. Um, but in a blend, it's definitely fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. A little bit of it. And, you know, most often you'll see a, a rice flour blended with something like cornstarch, um, 